and, and some of you may be visiting with us today, just coming in uh, off the street today. It was uh, hot coffee in a warm place. Whatever the reason, we're, as uh, Daryl said, we're glad you're here. But you may be wondering, why all the rigmarole? Why fill the platform up with such exuberance? Um, and it's because we truly believe and have experienced a hope and a peace in Jesus. That the, the promises of, of Him coming have been fulfilled 2,000 years ago and it, and it brings hope and peace in situations that may be hopeless. And we talked about that last week where there is an eager anticipation for God to fulfill His promises even in hopeless situations. And today, it's one where we, we look at peace. How indeed um, the Christ child brings peace. And, and so what we'll do is look uh, particularly at a story in the Bible in the beginning of, of, of the Gospel of Luke, in the very end of Luke chapter 1. Um, Sherelle read the big, a part of it uh, during when we uh, lit the Advent wreath, but it's going to be from verses uh, 67 to uh, verse 79. Um, and, but uh, the, the story behind it is one of my favorite uh, during this season of Advent, this season that we gather before Christmas to prepare. Oh, yeah, the children. Thank you. They, they were, uh, y'all are really polite and waiting patiently. Children, kindergarten through third grade can go through that door right there for children in worship. Anything else that I forgot? Feel, feel free. Yeah, feel free. Um, but the, the story here of, Ze- of uh, Zechariah, um, is one of my favorites because Zechariah is married to Elizabeth and they've been married for a while, don't have any children. And then the angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah and says, Elizabeth is going to have a child and you're going to name him John and he's going to be the one that prepares the way uh, for the Savior. He's the one that's preparing the way for God being born um, among us. And Zechariah, he's a priest. And so he's in the temple and he's doing priestly things in the temple and sacrifices and that kind of stuff. And that's when Gabriel appears to him and tells him the story. And Zechariah says, well, you know, how will I know for sure this is going to happen? And it's not in the text, but I think Gabriel's like, what are you talking about? I'm an angel from Yahweh. I've appeared to you in this moment. What more do you need to know that what I say is is going to happen? But he says, but since you need some more, what I'm going to do is you're going to not be able to speak for a little over nine months from now. When John is born, then you'll be able to speak um, again. That's how you'll know. That this really is going to happen. And so where we intersect the story is right at the birth of John. And Zechariah, um, his, his tongue has just been loosed. And he presents to us then this, um, this poem, this hymn, this, this prophecy. Um, uh, as he is filled with the Spirit, he, he brings us this, this notion, I believe, of what peace is. Um, just a word about um, peace as we walk um, into this is that um, 
Peace comes uh, maybe a little different than what we're thinking about peace. Um, uh, the, the, the biblical writers in Hebrew and, and Greek, they, they use, peace is a little more um, a holistic of a concept than just the absence of conflict. You, many of you probably heard the term shalom. You know, that's the Hebrew word for peace. And it doesn't just mean that there's no conflict. It, it actually uh, it can better be translated complete or whole or full. That, that To have shalom, that kind of peace, to be on this, the way of peace, is not just an absence of conflict, but it is the presence of fulfillment. It's a, um, a very simple, silly illustration of, of this. Um, is Thursday I raked my leaves. And there was uh, a real fulfillment when I looked at the yard and the leaves were still not there when I finished. And, and there was real shalom when I woke up Friday morning and the leaves were still not there. Now, Rain and wind and all the rest have brought more leaves, you know, into the yard. So the shalom has been ruined. But it's that sense of peace, that sense of fulfillment. And we'll venture into maybe a few more uh, greater understandings of that, that peace, that fulfillment. It's, so it, um, in some other ways, it's not, if you're a writer... It's not that you have all the distractions gone and you're now able to, to write without interruption. It is, it is that you are f- just waves of ideas are coming to you and you can't keep up. You're, you're, if you are old school in writing or your type, you can't keep up with the idea. If you're an artist, it's not just that the distractions are gone, but it's just that the, the colors are more vibrant. The ideas are overflowing you and you're able to play or to, to paint or to dance in ways that, that you've ne- you don't even think about. It just happens and you flow into the motion, into the ringing, into the playing, into the singing. If you're a student, it's not just that you're in class and you're able to understand what is going on. It's that the ideas that are being presented are engaging. It's that you are inspired by what you're learning. That, that's shalom. It's a fulfillment. Not just the absence of conflict, but the presence of fulfillment. So, as we'll see as we walk through this, uh, I, I would say that this peace that Jesus brings is a fearless flourishing in the freedom of God's purposes. It's a fearless flourishing in the freedom of God's purposes. All right, let's, let's pray. Uh, gracious God, thank you for your written word. Thank you as it tells us of the events of the birth of Jesus and all that he brings. Now help us to hear, to receive, and ourselves to, to flourish, to receive and to, to live into that, that peace that you indeed have brought. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right. Um, Luke chapter 1 starting with verse 67. Uh, it's 8.32 in your pew Bible, or you can follow along on the screen. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. 
that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us, that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people by the forgiveness of their sins, by the tender mercy of our God. The dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Right, first thing notice is his first word is a praise to God. It's a benediction. Uh, matter of fact, uh, some people in Latin have given these different songs and hymns in the first part of Luke. And so maybe you've seen this. It's the Benedictus. And, and the first thing that Zechariah tells us is as we're uh, seeking to live in the way of peace is that first and foremost, the foundation is God. Peace comes from God and not circumstances. Peace comes from God and not from our own capacity or the people around you. And that's the first thing we've got to recognize that there are all kinds of fears and troubles and pains and frustrations and illnesses and oppositions that surround us and that are within us that ultimately you can't do anything about. And if you're trusting in yourself... Or you're trusting that somebody else is going to change for your peace. That's a recipe for unpeace or war or frustration or failure or struggle. Peace, this kind of peace, this kind of fulfillment comes from God. And so Zechariah, he founds it all on God. Blessed be to God. And now he recounts what God has done. That now he's going to visit us. He looks, that's verse 68, where he looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. That looked favorably is really a word used for visiting. He's going to visit with good intent. He's going to come and then he's going to bring redemption. It says redeemed there. That means he's going to be freed from whatever traps um, us, whatever controls us, whatever opposes us, whatever oppresses us. It says here that this he's going to visit us favorably and destroy the enemies that are around us, those that hate us. Now, in Zechariah's day, they were called the Roman government. Yeah, and, and, and people were running scared of the Roman government that was going to oppress them. And, and that was what he was bringing a peace from them. Now the Roman government stayed there. They weren't gone, but he brought them a peace. And, and the same for us as well, if we just take this and apply it in our day. What are the enemies that oppose you, that oppress you, that hold you down and back, that you are scared of and that fear paralyzes you? What are the, name them, claim them, bring them to the Lord and say, I know you bring a peace for me to fearlessly flourish. Give those to him. I remember um, uh, when I was in high school, remember it vividly in high school, that's longer and longer away. 
Um, and uh, we were in the uh, on a bus in the mountains of Colorado on our way back uh, to Denver. And it was snowing, a good snowstorm out there coming down. And as we're driving down, the bus loses control. It falls on its side and it slides. I don't know. They said hundreds of yards. I don't know how far it was. Um, on its side, while on the side of the mountain. And then it stops. And I find myself laying down um, with the, the glass of the bus behind me uh, uh, to my back. And um, as it's sliding on the pavement that we're on. And my cousin, Todd, falls on top of me. And when it finally stops, there's moaning and groaning and crying, uncertainty, fear is running rampant, Todd is bleeding, his head hit the window as we fell to the side, we don't know what's going on, and then we see lights approaching, and we hear this crash that initially scares us, but then we realize it's the crash of somebody breaking the back window so that we could get out, we could be rescued. That's the picture that is being painted here. There are things that hold us in. That cause us to just be helpless in our fear. And Jesus has come to free us from those. What is it for you? Is it, is it other people? Other situations? Something within you? An addiction? An illness? Rebellion? Ignorance? That, that has caused fear to control you? As we um, grow in our relationship with God through Jesus, it's this peace that he brings that frees us from whatever controls us. And, And Zechariah goes on, the reason that we know we have this freedom is because God is one who fulfills his promise. He is faithful And he recounts over and over again these first um, uh, verses here how how God has promised this to Abraham. He has promised this to David. He has promised this to the prophets of old. And now he is fulfilling those promises. He is faithful. In, In verse 72 he says, He has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant. Now, this, this mercy here is a, a regularly used of God as he fulfills his promises, as he fulfills, in a sense, his end of the bargain. Um, the, the promises that he had made with his people are, you know, you do this, that's your part of the promise, and here's my part of the promise. The only problem is that we, as God's people, we don't fulfill our end. We don't fulfill our part of the covenant regularly. But God, in his mercy, fulfills his part of the covenant. And he always will fulfill his promises to us to bring us this peace. And this, this kind of, of mercy here, because we'll see mercy a little later in the passage, and there's distinctions between them. The, the mercy here is what we might call, in first century um, language, the mercy of the heart. And uh, for us, we have to recognize that heart for us, in our day, we usually think of heart as emotion. You know, how we're feeling, you know, what our emotion is. That's not how they used heart in the first century. Heart then was really more our commitments. It's more what, what we were committed to, what we were, what, what we're responsible for, even, and possibly even more passionate, what we're passionate about. This is what we're, we've agreed to do and we're going to do it. And that is God's mercy that He fulfills His end of the bargain no matter if we do or don't. 
And if you've been going through uh, the gospel project, as we've been going through Genesis together in the middle hour, that story after story after people who are dysfunctional. I mean, they put the fun in dysfunctional in Genesis. And yet God is regularly in, in and through and in spite of his people, fulfilling his promises, bringing that peace, bringing that salvation. So there is... Uh, well, all right, look at verse 74. Then, then he gives us the key to this, this faithfulness of God, this peace that he brings us, this redemption, this freedom from those things that oppose us, fe- that we're freed from the fear of all the things around us and within us that, oppo- that oppose us and oppress us. This is so that, see verse 74, so that being rescued from the hands of our enemies... We might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. I think this is the pinnacle of the passage. I mean, this is another way of what peace is, of what shalom is. To be able to serve God in the fullness of holiness and righteousness without fear forever. Now, here's something. You know, we hear holiness and righteousness. Those aren't sexy words, you know? I mean, those don't necessarily inspire us and move us forward. Righteousness and holiness, we sort of get heavy when we hear those. You know, don't I mean, yeah, they're a responsibility, they're a duty, they're they're, they're something that we're supposed to do that we got to do. No, that's not the biblical picture of what holiness and righteousness is. It means in holiness and right we live like we were created to live. We live in the fullness of life. We flourish. That's what holiness and righteousness is to live before God. I mean, it, it's like if you're a, uh, if you're into cars, you know what I mean? And then you've done the fine tuning. You've got the timing just right. You got the spark plugs gaps just right. You got just the right fuel injectors. You got the right fuel, the oil, the tires, the whole bit. And when it starts up, it purrs. And then when you hit the accelerator, it's gone and it moves. Or like I was saying earlier, if you're a writer or you're an artist or a student, it's that kind of picture where the right fuel is in the right car and it per. That's the picture here of what it means to live in holiness and righteousness before God. If you got a um, uh, car that's on regular gasoline, you ever tried to put diesel fuel in it? Don't. For one thing, it won't work. It'll really mess it up. And, and it's really nice that at uh, a number of, uh, that most, you know, gas stations these days, probably all, they, um, they've dummified it for us. Because if you ever pulled up, you know, and you just, without thinking, you pull out, you put your card in, and then you go to stick the, the dispenser, you know, the hose in your, uh, car. You ever, nobody, I've, Maybe it's just me then, but I'm sitting there in my arrogant self, you know, saying, what is going, why, who put the wrong thing on here? Or what's wrong? I know I've filled this car up many a times before. This is a gas station. I don't know what's going on and it won't fit in. And then I look and I say, oh, diesel fuel. And I wondered how many times has God done that for me that I'm trying to put diesel fuel, you know, in a car and it won't work and it won't fit. And it's sputtering around. And God says, just sort of laughing and joking. When are you going to turn around and see that this is not the fuel for your car? This is not how you flourish. You ever uh, picked up um, 
what you thought was cinnamon to put in your your, your cookie recipe, and then when you bit into it um, after it was made, you realized you put chili pepper in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah not, not a good trade um, there. This is life to the full. That, that we, we put the right ingredients in at just the right place and time, and it works. Have you ever gone to um, uh, buy a set of pair of shoes, man, and they were the right pair? It was, they looked right, the style was right, the colors were right, and the price was right. The size was just a little off, but you got to wear them because you, you know they're going to make what you look like. And you wear them, but it just doesn't, you know, at the end of the day, you got two, three blisters on your feet from the wrong size. It just... That's us trying to make things fit. But God is is when you buy the right size, the right style, the right price. And then that's the swag of being holy and righteous, flourishing. That's why he brings this peace. And he, then he goes on, um, verse uh, 76. And, and now Zechariah is now focusing particularly on his son who's been born. Remember, John the Baptist has been born. So he's there. And now you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. And I, I actually put a period um, there, which is not um, illegal. That's, uh, that, that's not heretical. Um, the original languages, the Hebrew and the Greek, don't have um, punctuation. So all the commas and all the periods you see are what folks that have tried the best they can to put this together. Um, but I, and I'm not alone, so I'm not... Um, well, I, I may be off base, but on this one, I'm not alone off base. Um, but so I stop it there and, and, and he talks to John and, and then the rest tells us the ways of the Lord uh, that he's going before the Lord to prepare his ways. These are what his ways are. He's going to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. And, and the knowledge, again, the biblical understanding of knowledge is not just head knowledge. It is full body knowledge. It's like Adam knew Eve and they had a child. That kind of knowledge, it's, it's a full kind of knowledge, not just in the head. He's going to give them the capacity to experience salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. He, he is removed, just as he has removed, he has removed fear from enemies. He's removed fear from those things that oppress us from the outside and inside. Now, what he's doing is removing fear of the judgment and wrath of God. It's gone because this one is going to come and he will bring forgiveness of sins. He will bring total and complete peace with God. It's what he will accomplish. Removing fears even of the punishment and wrath of God. And he's going to do so, going to do so by, verse 78, by the tender mercy of our God. Now, remember... Earlier, we talked about mercy, mercy uh, of commitment. Well, this is now a different word before mercy. It's a tender mercy. Now, I, now hang with me on, on this one. Um, if, uh, because this word tender is, whereas uh, the earlier mercy was the mercy of the heart, the mercy of commitment, 
This is actually, the word for tender is the same word for bowel. And in the first century, that's where they thought emotions came from. They attributed emotions to our bowels, to our guts. It's a great word um, in the Greek, splagna. <laughs> and uh, it sort of sounds like guts, you know, doesn't it? Um, uh, no jokes uh, after that. Uh, but the, like the verb, they verbified it, and it's called splachnizomai, which is translated regularly to show compassion, to feel compassion. Jesus has compassion. He splachnizomais. So God here feels mercy for us. Whereas before, you know, it was a responsibility, a duty. I mean, it was a commitment that he's made. Here, it's not that he does it because he has to. He does it because he wants to. Do you experience God in that way? I think if we experience God more as sort of a taskmaster, sort of the, the one in the sky that's looking on us to judge us, the, the, well, yeah, he's going to love us because he has to. We experience God that way. Then we think of holiness and righteousness as something that we're supposed to do for to be goody two-shoes or, or it's only for old people or I'll do that later. When in actuality we're missing out on the flourishing of life that God has for us right now. And and that God wants us to have. Uh, um, Last Sunday was uh, my first Sunday back after being on sabbatical. And I mentioned last Sunday, I mentioned in the article in the newsletter, that one of the greatest gifts of being off for, for three months was to spend time with God without an agenda. You know, I, I didn't need to be with God in order to get some word from Him or to prepare a sermon or be in his word in in order to do a devotion. It was simply just to be with him. And there, experienced in that time, the gift of feeling in my guts, the, the, the care and the tenderness and the adoration of our Heavenly Father. And that is a real gift, to be with God with no agenda. And that's, that's God for you as well, that it's a tender mercy. It's a, it's, a, it's a mercy that God feels for us. Also had the, the, the privilege during this time and mentioned in the uh, um, article that I got... In this three months that Kathy, who's my wife, and I got to spend time together. And with a chunk of it being without an agenda. And that was a gift that we lived into. And that we ended the time we really enjoyed being with one another. It wasn't... Something that we had to do was even something that we liked. And when we finished, we're like, we still like each other. (laughs) And that wasn't the case for my parents or hers. And so to stop and recognize that gift was a gift of the tenderness and mercy. And that's just a piece of the tenderness and mercy that God has who likes you.
Now, I'm going to take a, just a moment for a little commercial um, here in that, you know, I, I'm, I'm one, I fully believe marriage is a commitment of the heart. You know, that kind of commitment that's a responsibility that you got to work on, you got to do. And I sometimes lose pack. It's also a commitment of the bowels in first century language. This is when you feel that it's a gift. And granted, I had the gift of three months and we did of living through that and really enjoying, coming to a place really enjoying that. Um, uh, but I believe that is God's desire, not only in our marriage relationship, but in other relationships. So one of the things we're going to do in February, we're going to be a part of a national gathering around just particularly um, marriage relationships. And it's called Fight Night. And how do we learn how to fight fair? How do we learn to live into this peace in those relationships? Why do we fight with the person that we love the most? You know, we use all of our brain all the time. That's how it works. For men, it's not like that. Yeah, hey. So we're going to take a little tour through Problemville together. (laughs) Perception is at the heart of our conflict. We each have our own style about how we approach conflict. These things work. We're going to show you how to keep conflict at a minimum and how to uh, manage conflict when it does arrive. More information on that will be in the newsletter and things like that, just of the dates for that, but just to put that on the, the calendar now of how, to, how we live into this peace, how do we enter into this peace in the most significant relationships um, in our lives. All right, the, the, the end of the passage, um, we get this um, picture here of uh, the, the tender mercy of God, verse 78, that the, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, this, this final picture is Jesus is as the, the morning star. Jesus has this, the bright light that then enters into the darkness of our world, even into the darkness of death. You know, it's that picture that maybe you've had a nightmare. You wake up in the middle of the night and you just don't want to move. You know, you don't even want to breathe. You know, you're just there. Your, your heart's beating. You're sweating. And you're just like, I'm just going to stay here. And maybe it'll all go away. And, and it doesn't. But you sit there. You don't want to move no matter what. And you just wait until the sun starts to rise. And then the light enters the room. And you realize there's nobody else there. There's nobody under the bed. There's nobody in the closet. And all is okay. That's the the picture here of Jesus who enters into that darkness and destroys the fear that's around us. Whether it's the fear of the things that oppose us, whether it's the fear of the, the judgment or wrath of God, or whether here it is that great darkness, the fear of death. He shows us the way. That there is nothing to fear in death. In his life, in his death, and in his resurrection, he has exposed the weakness of death. He has defeated death. He's defeated sin. He's defeated guilt. 
In Jesus Christ, the peace is so great that there is no fear of death for me or for you or for anyone else who is in Jesus Christ. It was a little less than three years ago, maybe a week or two less, that I was in my uh, kitchen uh, in the morning, um, fixing breakfast. Nate, my youngest son, was at the island, and phone rings sort of early, unusual, pick it up, and it's my brother-in-law telling me that my sister died of a heart attack that morning. And I can still remember that scene vividly. I can still remember my heart sinking in that moment and the pain and the loss that we felt. Relived that even this summer for Hannah, my oldest daughter, where she got married in September and we were preparing, you know, all the stuff, talking about different things about the the wedding. And one of the things was, who are the people who weren't going to be there? That we wanted to honor and, and remember. And more than anything in the, the wedding, that was when we were just, we were sitting around the dining room table and we just all started crying. Because Audrey, my sister, she loved these kind of things. She loved, I mean, she just loved when all the people she loved gathered in the same place for a fun thing and they all had to be nice to each other. She just loved that. And she would have enjoyed this, been a part of it, and it would have been fun to even be there with her. And we wept and we cried there, but we also looked forward in the peace of the resurrection of knowing there's a day that Audrey, who knows Jesus, is with him now, that we're going to be there around Jesus and we're going to get to celebrate this and a whole bunch of other stuff together for all of eternity. Because death has lost its power. We don't have to be scared of death. As as a church, we're um, uh, making it a point to invite other people to come to church with us. And and the the reason that we do that, the real reason is because we have found and experienced, we've tasted this peace and this hope that Jesus brings and we want to share it with others. I mean, we all want to weep at death, but it's another thing to know death does not have the final say. And we don't have to live in fear. I mean, there is freedom when you don't have to live in fear from your opponents, from the enemies of the world, from your own self, from the wrath of God, or even from death. That is when you flourish, when we're freed from that fear. And we, we want, the reason we gather is to help each other remember and live into that and learn and grow into that fearless flourishing of the freedom that comes from living into God's purposes, from putting the right gas in the tank and having it all seamlessly with power flourish. We are free. From the fear of anything and everything that this world has to bring because we're in Christ Jesus. Any anxiety, any fear, that's foolish. That's why we help each other to help to live into that freedom. Peace has come. Brothers and sisters, peace has come. We can fearlessly flourish in the freedom of God's purposes. Because of the tender mercy of God in Jesus Christ. Amen.